Now, this is the fun part because I was what they called an artist development rep. So basically, my job uh, was to, when the artists came through town, we, we took, we, they gave us all the baby bands, the new artists, and our job was to do marketing plans for them. Imagine 1999-2000, uh, and I'm out with bands like System of a Down and Incubus and, you know, Corn. Well, the corn was pretty big, but Crazy Town. Uh, I was with John Mayer, like the day that he signed his deal. Like nobody knew who he was. I mean, all these, all these bands. And as a metal kid like me, I got, you know, I got to become pretty good friends with these guys. And, uh, even Adele, like they, we had the Adele record probably six to eight months before it came out in the states. Nobody cared. We couldn't give it away. It was a... Welcome to Power to Speak the podcast. I'm Jackie Goddard, and it's my mission to make entrepreneurs, leaders, and speakers excited about sharing their business ideas. To watch them transform from fearful to fearless in front of their audience. Power to Speak, the podcast, is aimed at those aspiring to be leaders, entrepreneurs and speakers, giving them the opportunity to learn from those who have been there, seen that and got the t-shirt. I discuss with them how they've used their creativity, curiosity and humility to create their success. My guest today is self-confessed creativity evangelist, Metal Kid and Clash superfan, Jason Miller. Jason was the Senior Content Marketing Manager at LinkedIn and Senior Manager of Social Media's Strategy at Marketo and Microsoft, and is currently the Marketing Director at CreativeX. He is the best-selling author of Welcome to the Funnel and runs rockandrollcocktail.com. He is a global content marketing leader by day and rock and roll photographer by night. After his first disastrous photo shoot, he vowed to master the camera and is now a legit photographer. I first met Jason at an online You Are The Media lunch club, where he is often called on to share his extensive content marketing knowledge with the crowd. But it was Jason's interest in the subject of creativity that struck a chord with me. In our fun and fascinating conversation, we discuss his thoughts on the subject, as well as how a heavy metal kid became the senior content marketing manager at LinkedIn, intelligent risk, photography, music, and improvisation. Enjoy. So welcome to the Power to Speak podcast. And my guest today is Jason Miller. And I'm so pleased and happy to have you here, Jason. Thank you for coming. Thank you for my, being here. My pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to speak to you. Hey. So Jason, you are the marketing director at CreativeX at the moment. But in previous incarnations, you have been head of brand marketing at Microsoft and global head of content and social media for LinkedIn. So That's huge, right. huge places to be in charge of marketing for. So how, how did, which, which came first and, and how did that come about? So, uh, well, you know, my, my background starts a little bit earlier on when I was in uh, the music industry. So I, my first job out of college, I started working at uh, Sony Music as an intern <clears throat> and this is pr this is before the MP3, so this is the golden age of, of wow. compact discs and controlling uh, you know all the music and paying twenty dollars for a CD or whatever. So uh, so I did that um, uh, for for ten years, and I kind of I moved all around the country, all around the U.S. from St. Louis, Missouri, where I'm from, to Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Fourteen South by Southwest later, um, over to San Francisco, um, where you know digital was sort of breaking out of the space, but. You know, I, I talk about this quite a bit. I, I, I was in an industry that was fighting digital um, instead of embracing it. And they didn't have the answers. They didn't have a model. And uh, it was really depressing. And I ended up in a place where uh, I, I just, the writing was on the wall. And 
Uh, every every six months, I get a call that says, your job's been eliminated, but we'd like to move you over here. So long story short, I, I just finally quit and sort of had to go back and reinvent myself and um, you know, got into uh, got my foot in the door at a tech startup in San Francisco and then it was off to off to the races with uh, you know hustling and writing and blogging and networking and um, you know trying to launch my speaking career and 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 you know do the work as well. But uh, that sort of transitioned into uh, a job at Marketo, where um, pre-IPO at Marketo, I was leading content and social there uh, about two years. Then went to, then LinkedIn called, and it was when uh, the marketing solutions. Uh, product was just coming out. So they, they I, I joined the week they launched sponsored updates in the feed. It was the first paid thing at LinkedIn. So it was 2000, geez, was it 2013 maybe? Oh, long ago. Anyway, but yeah, and then it was uh, it went off the races. Um, three years in San Francisco, two, two and a half years here in London, then moved over to Microsoft um, for a couple of years and then active campaign for a crazy ride. And uh, I decided to go back to, um, you know, early stage startups where I didn't have to inherit anything. I could build everything from scratch and, you know, I could uh, build a team and, um, and, and I think I got one more, one more startup in me. I think this is it. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that, that, that just sounds like a, a you know, a, a whirlwind from, from one, from, from starting out to, to now. I mean, there's lots and lots of stages in there that we need to just go back on and catch up on. So at Sony back in the yeah. day, wh what were you then? What was your kind of job title then? Ah, so <laughs> now this is the fun part because I was what they called an artist development rep. So basically, my job uh, was to when the artists came through town, we we took we, they gave us all the baby bands, the new artists, and our job was to do marketing plans for them. And in many instances, we would take them to radio stations, to record stores. Uh, we did you know promote them at college radio. Um, we did all kinds of things with these bands. But imagine uh, 1999, 2000, uh, and I'm out with uh, you know. Bands like System of a Down and Incubus and uh, even, you know, Corn. Well, the Corn was pretty big, but Crazy Town. Uh, I was with John Mayer, like the day that he signed his deal. Like nobody knew wow. who he was. Uh, Pete Yorn. I mean, all these all these bands. And as a metal kid like me, I got you know, I got to become pretty good friends with these guys. And I was out with Slayer. I got like I said, Carrie King, the guitar player, saved me from getting my butt kicked outside of a venue one night. Like it was a dream for me. Right. Um and uh, it just got to a point where the digital, the MP3 was introduced and, um, you know, it, it sorted, it was all downhill from there up, up until uh, around, I think it was around with the death of Michael Jackson was sort of the last, um, the last time that people actually wanted physical products, something to actually hold on to, you know, for the memory of the great Michael Jackson. I remember I, remember I was in Amoeba Records in a record store and they announced it over the intercom. Yeah. Going, oh my God, this is one of our artists. I was just shocked. Nobody saw that coming. Um, and funny enough, you know, some of the latter, or some of the records we worked later were uh, MGMT was a really fun one to work. Uh, even Adele, like they, we had the Adele record probably six to eight months before it came out in the States. And we like, nobody cared. We couldn't give it away. It, was, it wasn't until she did, uh, I think it was Saturday Night Live performance, which back then, yeah. if you play it on Saturday Night Live in the yeah. States, that was your ticket. That was your number one single on radio. That was it. We needed to break. And she smashed it. Uh, I get chills thinking about it. She played Chasing Pavements and just hit every single note. Uh, and it was off to the races. And that was it. And that broke her. Yeah, um, and absolutely. That, you know, it, it's such a rare moment. Um, but yeah, my job was to basically take the bands out, entertain them in cases, get them to uh, their show or get them to an interview, uh, promote them at record stores and college radio stations. So I loved it. It was, it was so much fun. But 
this this the the sad reality is uh and where it kind of took it takes a toll is nine out of ten bands and this still happens today nine out of the ten bands that we would have projects with like would fail uh and they would end up owing money to the label and you know not having rights to their music and so there's a bit of a dark side but you know when the engine worked it was magical yeah. Like yeah. when it didn't work, uh, it was it was a bit depressing. I think it took a toll. But but we had a yeah. blast. I was I was in my twenties. I was out with these bands, and uh, I was living the dream. And, and it I was, can imagine uh, that that must have been amazing. That must have been amazing. Magical. So so, what were you doing then? Uh, at, so in high school to to get you into Sony? What were, you know? Was there a route? Did you have a plan? Uh, no, I'm 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 terrible at planning. Uh, I'm the sort of person who sees the opportunity in front of you and I just grab it, trying to make, make as much uh, out of it as I can. But yeah, I barely, gra <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. I'm going to really talk about this. Uh, I barely graduated high school. Uh, barely. Uh, I went to uh, tech school half the day and then high school the other half the day. So I missed out on all the instructions on how to graduate and all that stuff. Uh, I took my SATs to get into uni the night before um the deadline so i got into the only university it would take me when i was a very good school so yeah I, I i think back at like there was no plan um but you know i think it's a matter of of having a drive and having a sort of a vision uh and then having the motivation and the determination and the discipline to actually do that so again how did i get here today i'm, I'm astounded that i live in london that i have kids uh that I have a wife who, who is you know uh who i love to death and uh, that I worked, that I've had, that I've played a role in at LinkedIn and Microsoft and Marketo. It's astonishing to me because I don't think I'm supposed to be here. I really don't. So there was no plan. Yeah, well, you obviously are supposed to be there. It sounds like nobody else could have done the, the work that you've done because of maybe, what, you know, the, the way that you started. I think if you if you look at me now uh, versus, you know, uh, when I was in high school, I was very reserved. I was a heavy metal kid. I was picked on. I was sort of bullied. Um, because I didn't fit in. I tried to, you know, I tried, that was the interesting thing. This is why I love heavy metal so much, right? I tried to be a jock. It wasn't working. I tried to be like a, 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 I wasn't smart enough to be sort of a nerd per se, which I guess that we're all nerds. I'm a nerd now, I guess, when it comes to it. But I couldn't figure out where I fit in. And there was this little community of, of, of kids that were the heavy metal community where you kind of fell into <laughs> if you couldn't fit anywhere else. Like, we'll take anybody. We're open and all, uh, like, we're open to everybody. Our, our community of heavy metal kids. If you're angry and you're rebellious, come <laughs> join us. Uh, and and that's how I sort of felt that found this you know, love of, of very heavy music because it was representing me at the time angry, but it also gave me that drive and pumped me up. And um, but yeah, the heavy metal community, like back then, uh, you know, it was the it was the the inclusive place that would take anybody and make yeah. you feel at, at home. And sort of that's been um, consistent through my life. To this day, I, I still celebrate you know, all things heavy metal because it's been such a part of my life and such a cool story. And, and everywhere I go, I'll tell you this other thing, every opportunity that I've ever had in terms of I've gotten speaking gigs, I've gotten job opportunities, I've gotten a blog opportunity, guest blog opportunities. Every, everything has come from a conversation around music. And some, most of the time it's been a conversation around a, a very obscure metal band because I had a t-shirt on or something. So it's always been that sort of theme. And I think it, it, I wrote a post about this at LinkedIn about that, that crazy sort of camaraderie around heavy metal. I mean, Brian Clark is a heavy metal person, you know, fan. Uh, uh, um, uh, oh, there's a million of them. Um, Chris Brogan, uh, 
I took John Burkhart to see uh, a metal show here, <laughs> a couple of metal shows. Uh, who's um, Amber Nasland, she's a big metalhead, Scott Stratton, Robert Rose. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. So it was that that little theme uh, and that that the fact that I fell into that that sort of opened up a lot of opportunities, you know? Yeah. That's it. I mean, obviously you're talking names, some of which I know from uh, from the You Are The Media Network, that is, which is where I, I first came across you. But what would you say to, then to other school, high school guys that are feeling that they have something to give, but they don't know where to go uh, and they're not particularly academic, but they have something that they want to share? What would, what advice would you give them? My advice is, uh, I think it's quite simple. I think you have to start creating something, right? So I think we all have something inside of us that we have to give back to this world. And um, I think there's, you know, a level of imposter syndrome. Am I good enough? Uh, and I think the only way to get past that imposter syndrome, even today, like people, you know, there's some folks I work with at different companies who are like, oh, I don't want to post to LinkedIn because I don't have anything to say. Or like the same thing can go back to, you know, my first time in high school is like, take a chance. Uh, you got to start somewhere. And I think imposter syndrome is sort of, is sort of, solved when you start to get feedback that's positive and reinforces that behavior and i think that's the only way forward but if you don't pull the trigger and try something new um and, and i'll tell you what if, if there was the opportunity um you know there is now i think for for people to unleash their creativity through you know just a TikTok, instagram snap whatever it may be uh we didn't have those outlets we had we sat around with our friends and we smoked pot <laughs> and we played records uh, and we had fun and that was our outlet. And we built, you know, we went over to different friends' houses and we shared music and that was our, that was our social network. It was just all, you know, physical. Yeah. Um, so I think if I would have had that outlet, uh, who knows, who knows what would have happened, but I, I think it's all about just trying, putting stuff out there, small steps, doesn't have to be a lot, but I think once you start to get like, um, I remember my first blog com comment at Marketo when I wrote my first blog post, it was horrible. It was a terrible blog post, but someone enjoyed it and gave me a good uh, a good comment. Said I really enjoyed reading this, and I was like, "That's all. That's all I needed to like out of my way. Like, <laughs> I've got yeah. more, you know." Yeah. So do you do you think you you suffer from imposter syndrome now, or is that something that disappeared with that first comment? No, I think I think it's always in the back of your mind. I mean, even you know, even with with Instagram and photography, I'm I'm, quite, I'm constantly comparing myself to others. I'm constantly. Uh, like looking at a picture saying that's not good enough. I could have done better. Um, you know, and, I, and, and every time I look at LinkedIn, I, I I'm so glad they turned on the turn the links off or likes off your post because I wouldn't post something for weeks because I would be afraid I wouldn't beat my own likes on the last post. And it just got ridiculous. So yeah, I, I think it's massive. And I think, I think this sort of trend of contrarian jerks in marketing uh, and trolls especially linkedin used to be a safe place because you if you comment like we know who you are but now it's like it's like all the gloves are off and there's still these contrarian marketing jerks who are just like who just can't seem to scroll past without being a, a, a jerk about something you know yeah. i think is still sort of plaguing uh you know lots of that but 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 again i think if you have some traction and you have even a small network uh the goodness always drowns out the uh the trolls right so yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah it's it, it's still top of mind for me i th there is a level of confidence um that i that i try to stick to but it's never it's never where i think it should be no i mean i'd love to come back to to linkedin and what it was like 
then when you started and what it's like now. But I just want to pick up because I don't want to forget it was when I very first met you in the the You Are The Media Zoom room and you were talking about creativity, which is obviously where I come from. You know, this is the reason that the podcast started um, and that you may well have been responsible for that along with a couple of others, because creativity in the small business world is quite a difficult thing to 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 have as a label. It felt in the beginning when I first started my business that people didn't know where to put me. They thought I was a bit fluffy. You know, I, I, I work with people around their talks and their presentations and helping them show up. And I come from an acting background. So I use my acting training. So I use improvisation. I use all of those sort of things my my story and storytelling but it was it felt quite difficult to fit in anywhere to any of the networks so the, the podcast started from that kind of you know I want to talk to people that are in small businesses and working in businesses and trying to use their creativity and what I picked up from you was the blog that you wrote about creativity and AI and in that that piece that you wrote was was the the TED talk with Charles Lim about how yeah. improvisation actually uh, shuts down that part of your brain that deals with the inner critic and therefore that kind of imposter syndrome. So how did you come across that? And, and what what does that mean to you? Because I've used that. So I tell that to everybody now. I watched that TED Talk. It blew my mind. So now I tell everybody, because obviously improvisation is part of what I do with people. And I think it's so important for everybody, no matter what, what walk of life what business you're in so how, how did you come across it and what did it what did it mean to you yeah so it's it's the it's the part of the brain the uh, I think it's the lateral prefrontal cortex uh, uh, I might botch that a little bit I'm no scientist but that, that sort of it's the part of the brain that it, it, it sort of self-regulates that uh, that gives you every sort of reason in the world not to do or say something right and I think there's a time and place for that but when you're looking to solve a problem uh, you need the best way to do this is to turn this off and uh, I, I did quite a bit of speaking around this. And, and the, the, the study that you're talking about was where they, they, um, they found out that when a jazz, uh, a jazz player is truly in this mode of improv, that, that what they, they're, they're opening the space in their, in their brain for creative thoughts to flow freely. And it only happens when you can turn off that prefrontal cortex, right? Um, and what they found was, is oftentimes the, uh, the musician couldn't even remember what they played, but when they hear it back, they're like, oh my God, I did that. Uh, and so it was this moment, I get chills thinking about this. And yeah. then if, if you dig a little bit deeper, there are other examples of this of this happening with some of the best creative minds in the world too. For example, Salvador Dali had this, uh, this trick called um, Slumber with Key, I think it was called, where it's an old trick that he picked up from the, uh, the Capuchin monks. Uh, uh, and the only reason I remember that because they apparently invented cappuccino. Um, but it's, it's a, you know, an ancient trick where you would hold a, 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 a key. Well, this is what Salvador Dali used to do. And I think Einstein would do this too, as well uh, as some, some other great thinkers. But you would hold a key and you would sit in a chair and you would put a, um, a plate upside down underneath the key. And as you're sort of drifting into sleep, at the moment that, that you release that key um, is this moment where you, um, where you turn off that prefrontal cortex and you open up your mind to what is arguably and scientifically shown to be the most creative state right before you drop into sleep uh there's this moment where this magic happens and they say if you can unlock that and then spring up and you are in this pure creative mode and uh this is where some of the biggest and brightest ideas have ever came from and the idea is when you start to slumber out you drop that key and the clank on the plate 
wakes you up. And this is how Salvador Dali would paint some of his most magnificent pieces. This is how Einstein would come up with some theories that would change the world. And so it's 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 how do you how do you unlock that? How do you turn that off and unlock this this mode of creativity? And uh, lots of us do it through meditation. Um, once you can figure that out. But another another you know classic trick is the slumber with key. So there's sort of ways to do that. Uh, I mean, for me, it's sort of getting lost in music. It's you know uh, figuring out how to meditate with with an app of sorts. But there's ways to to if you're really trying to solve a problem, there are ways to tap into that uh, yeah. where you can give it your best go and 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 come up with an, a, a truly elegant solution that that you may have never thought of or anyone else. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I think you said in that that blog as well, and I think I'd, I'd um, looked at uh, Stuart Stuart Brown as well about play and and just being playful, and being in that play mode, whether that's improvising or whatever it is that you do for play. It's just kind of taking your mind away, which all of these other things do, the meditation and and all of that. It's taking your mind away from what uh, what you do day to day. You know, all of the other thoughts that that kind of come in, and, and putting yourself into a place where you can just um, open up and be and be free. Yeah, and there's this sort of uh, you know another very simple example of this is when you're in the shower. Where do all, why do all these thoughts come into your these brilliant ideas, ideas come to you when in, in the shower? It's because you're so focused on just your routine that you're sort of letting your guard down and letting your brain these free flow thoughts. So I mean that's a very simple um, you know idea, but it's also the same concept of where you know these where, when creativity strikes you, you can either make space for it. Or uh, it's going to hit you somewhere, and you could quite you potentially forget that idea. That's that's yeah. the challenge. Yeah, and that's well, yeah. You got to, you've got to you've got to write it down, haven't you? But as soon as it comes, yeah. you've either got to do it or you've got to write it down because otherwise it just disappears. So. Yeah, and you know the other piece to that, that 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 I found really interesting when I was researching this, and, and um, I did a talk on this at Content Marketing World in in, in the states uh, right after COVID let up. And uh, was was this idea that um, that creativity sort of needs you know no restrictions and and uh, no constraints to thrive, and it turns out it's the it's the exact opposite. And I think this is this is great for small businesses too because you know Active Campaign was was a role where I focused on solving challenges and inspiring small businesses. And I think you know it's it's it, at Marketo we were always taught brains over budget, right? Um, and, and how you can sort of un unlock that creativity. So what we what, what research has shown is that the more constraints you have, the more elegant the solution. And I think there's a couple, there's a big example of this. If you look at uh, sort of Doritos, when they talk about the, uh, they did the $1 Super Bowl ad, I think it was, right? Um, they spent $1 on a Super Bowl ad and it turned out to be that all those constraints made this beautiful, fun little story years ago. Uh, and then there's the, um, uh, the other side of that, like yeah, an example from music um, that I love is The Clash. Like I love The Clash, right? They, they wrote London Calling, this double live album under constraints, arguably one of the greatest albums ever created in punk history, right? Uh, and they were at war with their record label. They were, they were re rehearsing in the guitar player's mother's garage. Uh, they were completely broke. I mean, they had all these constraints put on them uh, to, to sort of pull out you know, arguably one of the the most the finest moments in music. Um, yeah. It was all because of constraints. Now you can see again, you can see that play out like when a band gets this big studio, this big luxury, all this money, uh, and they tend to <laughs> be much less creative and less uh, less adventurous with their with their music. So th that's kind of how I think about how it applies to anyone: uh, small yeah. business, large business, marketers, personal brands, whatever.
Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the same, you know, when, when you say to somebody improvise, you know, if I'm in a, if I, if I'm in a, an environment where I'm asking people to, to improvise and just make it up as they go along, unless you give them a theme, they, they kind of go, well, that sounds great, but what do I do? So the, you have to give them a box to play in. Otherwise yeah. they can't, they can't create. It's, it's, it's madness. I, I, I love that. Uh, the, the improv story and then, you know, I think um, Tim Washer, we, he was on the Year of the Media mm. the other day and, you know, adding yes. improv and comedy together, I think is something I've always, I've always appreciated. I've never been able to sort of uh, to do myself, but um, I, I like the idea of running with something and, and you know, uh, having fun with it. But improv has always been fascinating. So. Yes. No, we, we do it every day. I'm doing it right now. So are you. So, you know, we do, people go, eh, I can't do it. But yeah, we do it. We do it. We're not ending here, just taking a quick break to remind you that you are listening to Power to Speak, the podcast with my guest, Jason Miller. And we'll be back with Jason after we hear from our friend, fellow podcaster and master of verbal communication, Andrew Thorpe. We're all in the persuasion business, whether that's pitching to a potential client, selling ourselves in a job interview or convincing a teenager to tidy their room. How we frame our message and how we deliver it makes all the difference. And this is the theme of my podcast, Leaning Forward. I'm Andrew Thorpe. I'm a speaker, a trainer, and a storyteller. And I'd love you to tune in to our latest episode. What do you think then in terms of creativity and leadership? Because I, I, I have this thing that, that leaders need to give people they're collaborating with. It, in order to lead, you kind of have to give people the space to be creative, to kind of give them the permission yeah. to, to create. So there's a couple ways I think about this. And again, I think, you know, the age old question is, oh, or, or the age old challenge is like, oh, I wasn't born creative. I'm not creative. Like mm. that, That's bullshit. Like right? everyone can learn to be creative. It's something that can be taught. And so I think, you know, based on where I've found success with my teams over the years at, you know, LinkedIn or Microsoft or, or wherever, is sort of finding what what they have trapped inside, you know, that they that they could get out, right? Number one. And then number two, painting the picture of what that could look like uh, as something creative and successful, right? So, and bringing them examples to inspire them to get there. So it sounds a bit fluffy, but if you don't have that leader who's there to paint the picture, to bring you inspiration, and then try to pull that that creativity out of you and, and tell you, yes, you, you can do this, uh, then it gets lost, right? Uh, at LinkedIn, um, you know, we had a thing called the intelligent risk that was part of our, our culture there. And I still take this. I took this to Microsoft. I bring it to, you know, everywhere I go. Uh, and it's basically um, the, the, you know, permission to fail. Right, permission to try something new and fail. And the intelligent risk is is I'm going to botch the definition. It's been so long, but it's it's basically the idea of uh, where the um, the risk sort of or, or being successful outweighs any sort of risk that you know could ever uh, uh, be of any concern. Right. So as part of our um, our team OKRs each month or BPMs, whatever we call B two moms, I would always say here are the things we need to get done. But I want one sort of uh, I want one intelligent risk for you, and this could be anything you want. Right. It could be start a podcast, it could be like start a TikTok channel, start a trend. I don't know, whatever you want to do. Uh, and uh, and then sort of one personal goal. Uh, and I think that's the key to development. I've had good managers. I've had terrible managers. I've had managers who uh, do nothing but drive for performance. 
but I think it's the ones who take a step back and, and, you know, focus on, uh, how do you, how can you be more creative and how can I inspire you to do your best? It, it gets you past being that the fear of, of turning into that marketer that's miserable, that's celebrating mediocrity, that's pushing things out the door just to get them done to checking boxes, you know, and that's something I've just never been uh, comfortable yeah. Yeah, I I did some work years and years ago at Microsoft at their headquarters here in Reading. I think they are. I don't know whether. Obviously, I assume the Microsoft you were at the headquarters were in the states. Uh, Paddington. It was. Uh, well, it oh. was. We had an office in in Paddington. Uh, the headquarters, European headquarters, was, was in Dublin. Oh, right. Well, the, obviously, when I went there, it was very playful. You know, the, yeah. I went there with a group of school kids. We were doing a project in Minecraft, and they they were really interested in it. Micro, uh, Microsoft were very interested in their their education side. So we took this group of school kids there, and obviously there were you know there were swings. People were, were having their lunch on swings. There were bean bags. There was you know there was the kids loved it, but just to be able to work in a space like that. And also recently I've been up to a company over here called Gymshark. Uh, their headquarters are in Solihull with uh, mm-hmm. Ben Francis's company there. And again, they've got gyms, they've, you know, they've got, they've got places that people can play. They've got places that people can kind of switch off and, and create mm-hmm. in, in that way. They, they kind of give them the permission and they give them the space to do that. So was Microsoft like that when you were there? It, you know, there, there, <laughs> I found out very quickly that Microsoft was not a good place for me because it was too it was too big of a company and I, I needed to go back and build something. They didn't need me, right? But um, th- there were some good things, some bad things about that, just like any other place. But one thing that, that stood out to me, um, and I still have some dear friends there and, and uh, you know, no hard feelings, but one thing that really stood out to me was they had um, you know, I, all these companies, every company I've ever been at has always said, oh, we celebrate, uh, we give you permission to fail, or we celebrate failure, or whatever. Like, like it's all bullshit. But Microsoft, they, they actually walked the walk here. And, and what they had was they had this thing, I was talking about this this morning, called the Golden Plunger. Uh, and it was basically a plunger that they had painted gold and bedazzled with all these rhinestones and whatnot. And whoever had every quarter, uh, whoever had the biggest failure, they would ship this golden plunger to them and they would have to present in front of the whole, like we're talking the whole company, not the whole company, but the whole marketing division, we're talking hundreds of people. They would hold the golden plunger and they would talk about their failure and they would discuss what they learned from it. Uh, And it's the only time I've ever seen someone actually celebrate failure uh, and and take the learnings and apply it uh, in a culturally company-wide um, manner. So uh, I will give them that. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it wasn't. I, I'm I'm I need a small company. <laughs> so t- tell me how how uh, it, you ended up in marketing. Then, if you came from music, and you were you were at Sony, and then how how did the step into marketing? come about <laughs> well i mean to be honest with you uh, i don't know if i've ever told anybody this either but i was i was going to school i was working two or three jobs you know um had some challenges with my family and, and i was sort of on my own uh but i was working three jobs i was going to school nine hours a week and i'd been going to uni for um i guess five and a half years and i'm like i went in, i remember going into my um my counselor's office and i said look i've been going here for quite some time uh what, what can I do? What can I get out of here? And she goes, if you take this course, this course, and this course, we'll give you a degree in marketing. I said, I'll take it. Uh, and so, yeah. And, and, and this, this kind of like relates to today. Like, I'm not saying that uni is not important. Uh, I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have, you know, I think it, at the time it was, you needed a piece of paper to get this role, right? Like you wouldn't, you couldn't get hired in most marketing jobs without that, that piece of paper. Um, now I think it's, I would argue that 
I, <laughs> what I learned there wasn't very helpful. I think, you know, I got a fast, I, everything I learned about marketing was done pretty much at Marketo under, you know, John Miller and Maria Pergolino, the, the co-founder and, and, and the CMO, or my, my boss. So yeah, I fell into marketing like most of us do. Um, and it, it was the only discipline of business where you could, you know, be creative and you can have some fun. And so that's always been part of what I do. And I think the, the, the telltale sign for me uh, when it's time for me to go is when I stop having fun. Yeah, that's very wise. Very wise. So do you think marketing in just in general across the board is creative? Is it, cre is it creative enough? No, it's certainly not creative enough. It has to be more creative. I think, again, I think there's just so many marketers trying to do so many things. Uh, and, and, you know, many times they're not being asked to change the way they do things, right? Because, they, you know, they're just kind of on this track of, um, you know, checking boxes and pushing things out the door. And we ran into the situation in the early days at LinkedIn where, um, you know, one of the biggest things was people were creating research uh, and just pushing it out the door. And, there was no like, well, like you're telling me the importance of doing this, but where's the follow up and where's like the inspiring me that I can do this too part of it. So um, I got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I think it's gotten better, but I, I'm really quite disappointed when I scroll through LinkedIn and I see the lack of creative pitches and the, you know, the, the lack of um, creative messaging and the lack of, of just you know, trying to do less with more and, and, more relevant and be more empathetic and um you know I, I think there's lots of room for it i think there's some amazing things happening uh but i also think that some of the best you know marketing isn't isn't there's some of the best marketing happening we're not seeing it because the people are doing it so damn busy uh you know being creative and pushing boundaries that they don't post to linkedin maybe they don't need that you know yeah i had a uh, podcast conversation probably about a year ago now actually which i'd like to revisit with jeff cottrell do you, do you know jeff Jeff, uh, why does this sound familiar? It sounds familiar. But... Uh, Jeff was the head of marketing for Coca-Cola at one point. And uh, again, he's he has come from a, a sort of a, a music, a love of music background. Mm -hmm. And Converse, it was Converse he went into. And obviously the, the budget that they had to do this marketing campaign for Converse's 100th birthday, he took and kind of gave it to the kids that were making music basically so he set up studios or him and the team it wasn't just him but yeah. they 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 set up studios that that the the kids could play in the bands band, young bands came in they were wearing converse they were wearing converse anyway yeah. um and so they just took photos they posted them and that was that was the marketing you know and it and it it, it exploded and i just think that's a better way to go than kind of pushing out those ad campaigns that as you say sort of celebrate the the mediocrity really yeah i i love that story I, I had not heard that story but that's that's fantastic you know um the every every sort of successful thing we did at linkedin and and linkedin when i started at linkedin nobody cared about linkedin there was a running joke uh it was all about getting a job no one even knew there was a marketing arm there was a running joke about the feed every halloween someone would say oh you want to see a real graveyard this halloween go look at your linkedin feed I mean, you could post something, you could say, I will, I will solve all the problems in the world if you just like this one post and you would get nothing. There was nothing. And so we were up against, we were the underdog, we were against Facebook, we were against Twitter, even Google Plus was, was eating our lunch, was killing us, right? And so we had to convince 
everyone. We had to convince, you know, agencies and marketers that there was a place for uh, uh, marketing and a conversation as the professional, you know, um, network. And so every idea we tried had to be something completely out of the box, something completely new, something completely, you know, sometimes bonkers. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I will tell you this, we made the brand team very uncomfortable um, because we were pushing boundaries and not everything we created didn't, didn't look like it came from LinkedIn specifically. But we had a lot of success once we got some traction and we found these intelligent risks really paid off. But it was all led by creativity. Every, every successful campaign I've had with my team was inspired by something, either a, 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 a jazz CD cover or a Liam Gallagher subway poster. Um, it, but it, it was always about seeing something out in the wild and bringing that into uh, much most of the time like a B2C example and figuring out how we could apply that to a B2B world. And I think that's where we found a lot of success. B2B was, was very boring, mm. these long buying cycles. And, and they put up, the, they sort of held themselves hostage in terms of what they could and couldn't do. And I was like coming from a music background and like, I just didn't give a shit. And I'm like, we're just going to try everything. It was the George, we call it the George Costanza approach to uh, to marketing. So George Costanza from Seinfeld is a great episode where, where George... <laughs> Is having the worst luck with everything, and he he has this this uh, you know epiphany, this idea that just says that he says, well, if every every inkling of, of judgment I have is wrong, then the exact opposite must be right. So we took the, we did the exact opposite of what every other B two B marketer was doing in a B two B environment, and it and it started to take off. And I mean, you know, five and a half years, uh, you know, I left when there was no more. It was I love the platform. I still have lots of friends there, but. It got to a point where anything LinkedIn had would do or create was going to be successful because the framework is in place and the people were in place and they were smart and they got it. Uh, and there was no more, <laughs> there was nothing else for me to do. <laughs> so I, 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 I gracefully bowed out and, um, and it's still going It's the strongest, you know, the arguably the best platform out there. Yeah. But it, did, yeah. it was tough to get there. And, and I think it was all about taking risks. It was about very smart people. Uh, and it was about, it was all creativity in the early days. Everything yeah. was about creativity. Well, I, I thank you for that because I like, I do, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn now. And I can remember, as you say, I probably, well, pre-lockdown, I, I didn't do a lot on it. But even back then, it it felt, you know, it it was it was quite dull-ish. Whereas now it's it does have that traction and people are kind of posting and they're making, they're networking and they're collaborating and it, it feels very creative. It feels a, lo a lot more creative. You know, what's interesting, um, <clears throat> I think you were on the, uh, on the, uh, you were the, you were the uh, media uh, call with Joe Polizzi. Yes. And I remember it was profound what he said, because back, you know, back in the day, 2012, 2013, <clears throat> you know, I was at Content Marketing World, one of the first ones, and it was in Columbus, Ohio. God, it was, maybe it was the second one. And Joe's up on stage, he says, you got to figure out how to be everywhere. You got to be on every single channel. Uh, and then he came back. And he said he was wrong on that call. And he goes, I was completely wrong. And he goes, you got to focus on one channel and you got to nail it. Uh, and he like he said, my ch my channel right now is Discord and he's smashing it. And I think, you know, when you look at um, the opportunity on LinkedIn, I mean, if you can nail it there, why do you need to be anywhere else? You know? Yeah, brilliant. So the new things that are coming up, I, I sort of was talking to you earlier about NFTs. And this kind of creator coin thing that's that's taken off, which is kind of kind of goes over my head, but I'm interested in what it is. So tell me a little bit about your creator coin and uh, and, and what NFTs are. 
Yeah, so so I'm still figuring this out. Like I'm learning along the way, but you know, I got a little bit of FOMO, and like I, I will only preface this by saying like I don't need anything else to do. I don't need another channel to figure out. I don't need another trend to jump on. I'm quite happy where I'm at, <laughs> but uh, I'm fascinated by this because I want in this always be learning growth mindset, right? Uh, the NFT is the non fungible token, which is a, uh, a digital sort of asset that is owned by a single person. My definition is not clearly as well as a Schaefer would know or a Jaffe or a Fanzo. But, um, you know, and the creator coin is fascinating because it's a bit of cryptocurrency uh, where it's based around supporting the creator to in this economy where the uh, community gets rewarded through um, through cryptocurrency, through uh, creator coins, right? And you can buy services or get awarded NFTs with special access. So it's this whole new way of basically organizing uh, a community and rallying them around uh, something uh, something unique, right? So I, uh, I, I went to rally uh, probably six months ago after seeing, you know, Anne Hanley did her coin, Jay Bear, Mark Schaefer. I love Mark Schaefer. Like, love this guy. I cannot say enough great things about Mark Schaefer. Um, and we've been chatting back and forth. He's helped me kind of get launched. And Brian Fanzo, I think, is just doing killer stuff with the 365 NFT. Anyway, so um, so I went through all the process, went through the onboarding, and now I'm getting ready to launch. So my, I, I just fell out my profile. should be probably going live next week. But I'm interested because I have all this, all this, this archive of, you know, a million concert photos. Uh, and I'm interested to see if I can sort of what happens if I bring in a community around um, specific collections of photos from over the years on a true one to one individual level. Like you can own a, a, uh, a copy of something truly unique of maybe an artist you love or maybe a show you were at um, and sort of launch these into collections uh, to appeal to different audiences. And along the way, sort of uh, build this community of photographers, which I think is fragmented across you know different Facebook groups and uh, Instagram. What happens if you bring this this collective photography conversation into the world of crypto, into the world of rally, into the world of NFTs? Uh, I don't think anyone's figured it out yet. I'm probably not going to figure it out, but maybe I, I can have some fun along the way. Uh, yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm just. I'm still trying to get my head around the, the NFT sort of art world. So and and the photographs that you're talking about would they be exhibited on a channel? How how would does that I've sort of seen an exhibition in a in a room in a venue, but how how does it work? I'm not 100 percent sure. But <laughs> <laughs> what I've seen, what I've seen, the real magic is not necessarily. Uh, I mean, the art is one thing, but I think the real opportunity is what you're seeing. Sort of the marketers like like Gary Vaynerchuk do, where they they package up exclusive services or exclusive access to different uh, tiers of Gary's you know time or Gary's. Uh, you know, network or his agency, they package them up into NFTs and they put them out into different marketplaces. I think OpenSea is one of them. Um, so yeah, I'm still figuring this out myself, but I think it, it's twofold. I think the art world is it's fascinating because you can have a, a truly unique piece that only you own, but then also how do you package up an NFT as a uh, portal, um, as a sort of um, access point and an exclusive access point based on your engagement with the community. So uh, it's 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 going to be interesting um, to see what happens. So it is. I, I'll, even if I fail, 
least I gave it a try and like I got enough things to keep me busy. <laughs> Perhaps we'll revisit this in a year or so's time and see see where it is at, at that point. I'd say, yeah, I'd say give it two to three months and then you'll either see me going, this is a big mistake or, oh, it's cool, <laughs> it's working. So, you know. You'll be a millionaire. Um, the photography though, because you, you are a rock and roll photographer. I mean, there's no getting away from the fact that you are somebody who professionally takes photographs of some some incredible music and bands how how did that start uh you know and, and so it's another one of those things where i look back and like how the hell did i get here right uh and it was just again it's, it's a matter of, of seeing an opportunity and seeing how far you can grab onto it and seeing how far you can push it right and so uh years ago uh i was writing for this little magazine uh in dallas texas just because i like to write I did it for free don't let anybody ever tell you don't write for free or don't work for free. Like that's bullshit. Like you have to, like, if it gets you to a level and opens up access and builds your network, absolutely. Right. Uh, but my point is I was writing for this little magazine for free uh, just because I like to write for them and I could write music reviews and they gave me tickets and, and, you know, uh, music. And I remember uh, the, the publicist for Motley Crue and all my favorite bands reached out to me and said, uh, would you like to um, go to the show and review the show? in san francisco and i just moved to san francisco i said yeah i would love to it's a great we'll leave you a ticket and a photo pass and i'm like what, what's the photo pass what are you even talking about and she goes oh you can take pictures of the first three songs so i'm like oh my god so i've never picked up a camera dslr camera in my life i went out that night bought a camera stayed up for the next like four or five days trying to figure out how to use this thing and i get to the show <laughs> no idea what i'm doing but i'm standing and next to these other professional photographers from like rolling stone spin magazine whatever and i'm like and they hate me because I'm this blogger who got in there. I'm, I'm killing their industry, apparently. Uh, and no one will give me any tips on what to do. But I screwed up the photo shoot. And I, in my in my book that I put out a couple years ago on Kickstarter, I put my first picture, which is just a big flash of light with a couple of heavy metal symbols. Up. You can't even see. <laughs> it's awful. But I screwed up my – and I love that. I screwed up these pictures, this opportunity so bad that I vowed – and I was depressed for a while. I vowed to master the art of low-light, fast-moving photography – so, uh, you know, 10 years, or nine years later, like a million photos later, thousands and thousands of bands, Kiss, I photographed Kiss a bunch of times. I photographed Motley Crue several times after that, uh, you know, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd, uh, Flaming Lips, uh, I mean, you name it, right? Liam Gallagher a bunch of times, Noel Gallagher. Uh, and it's just been that quest of like, how can I do better? How can I get better? And like, uh, tr just trying to keep, you know, my, my sort of... Um, my creative flow and pushing the boundaries on how good, I, how good can I get as a photographer? <laughs> years in, you know, I, I think I, I still think I suck at some things, but I'm good at others. Right. But so it, branches it, into, it branches into, yeah, I got kids. So now I'm into portrait photography. Now I'm into landscape and I'm in a macro photography, experimental photography. Like I'm, I'm running with it. And it was an opportunity that was dropped in front of me by mistake. <laughs> yeah. But is it a side hustle for you? <laughs> I wouldn't call it a side hustle because it's more of a, I, I love, I love to do it. And, and I mean, it's just something I love to do. I, I mean, I would, I would be going to shows anyway, this way. And now I'm just going with a camera in hand and documenting it and bringing something back that I can, you know, uh, celebrate and share with others. So uh, I think a hustle is something that's hard and you, you, you know, it's a means to an end. This is something I love doing and I would be doing it if I wasn't getting paid, if I was if some of the stuff I do for free, you know, I, I don't think it's a side hustle. I think it's become who I am. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose I meant more of a, a hobby that you kind of has, has become part of your business, you, you know. 
Yeah, and and I struggle with that because uh, uh, I I I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't want to call it a hustle because I love it so much, um, and I don't want to call it a business because it's more of a creative outlet, right? But but yeah, it's certainly become something that takes up a tremendous amount of my time. I, I'll tell you this: like I, I will I will tell you this. If I took all the energy and time and effort that I put into learning photography and shooting shows and editing photos and putting together this book and, and um, you know, selling whatever and building my website, if I took all that energy and put it into my career, uh, I, where would I be today? I would probably be a VP or a CMO somewhere, but I don't care about that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm at a level where everything I've done has got me to a, 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 the end result is not to be an influencer. It's not to be a thought leader. It's to give myself control over the choices of how I spend my time. And where I where I work and the work that I do, and I think anybody who goes into this thinking they're going to be an influencer or a thought leader or leading with their personal brand, they're missing the whole point. Like everyone's like, "Oh, you can't give me advice about being a personal brand if you don't have ten thousand followers on Twitter." Like, it's not the point. It's not about it's it's about access. It's about feeling good about yourself. It's about having something to say. And I think you know, I feel like photography has become like without the photography, I would have missed these opportunities to you know infuse these two together and to be a unique marketer. Yeah. So maybe it's a, is it a side hustle? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I do, well, whatever whatever it is, you're doing it well. I think it's brilliant. And in fact, you've got you've got a, a photograph in the Natural History Museum. Uh, funny story about that. I was when lockdown happened, <clears throat> they canceled all the shows. The last show I got into was. Um, Morrissey funny enough and it was like right at the peak of like when COVID was hitting like the night before they closed down London I get in to shoot Morrissey and they're like the one time the guy shows up for a gig because he's notorious for canceling but it was brilliant anyway so for the next 18 months like there's no music to shoot and I'm like that's kind of all I know how to do so I flipped my lens around and started learning how to do macro photography just like things that were in the house and things that were in front of me and uh yeah I, I took this picture uh I was it was really took me a while to get the hang of it. It's incredibly challenging photography, right? You're, you're taking tiny, tiny things and blowing them up, um, you know, a hundred times, uh, many times. Anyway, I, I, I started taking pictures of this, of this snail, uh, on my, <laughs> in my garden that was in front of this glowing yellow bulb. And it, it just, I caught the moment perfectly. Uh, and it's actually still in the natural history museum as a photo exhibit um, for nature under lockdown or something. So yeah, yeah. You, never, you never know what's going to happen. I was doing it for fun and it kind of ended up in this cool place. And, you know, my kid, my, uh, my kids go to the natural history museum and they have a membership there and they are like, that's my dad's picture. And wow. I mean, like it's, it's one of those things like I'm not supposed to be here. My photo's not supposed to be there. This is all just happening because you, you see something and you just, Push and push and push and push. Exactly. Know? I mean, it, and I think if if there's anything that's that's come from our conversation, it is just that that fact that uh, you need to step out of your comfort zone. Just put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to make mistakes and take those Liam, risks. Liam Gallagher. Liam got. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk about. No, no, no. Go for it. <laughs> Liam Gallagher said it great in an Oasis song. Uh, you can have it all, but how much do you want it? And I think that's the question. Like, how how long did I stay up hours and hours and hours trying to figure this stuff out from concert photography to macro photography like like to even like you know building my network or, or doing a presentation or writing a blog like how much do you want it like it's not a question of work-life balance there's no, you're never going to have that answer it's a matter of if you want to do something how bad do you want it uh and what are you willing to sacrifice for it wow absolutely well before i let you go um just 
tell us where we can i've got is linkedin a good place to find you if people want to come and find you and connect with you yes yes so um linkedin uh just type in jason miller creative x i should pop up there um yeah. and in instagram i spend a lot of time on instagram with my photography stuff so jason miller ca on instagram the creator coin probably launched next week or the week after uh and that's jason miller ca as well and then uh twitter jason miller ca uh, and I have a, um, a newsletter at Rock and Roll Cocktail, rockandrollcocktail.com, rockandrollcocktail.com. Rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. and that's where I, I post my musings on, I call it musings from the digital mosh pit. So uh, marketing, <laughs> photography, little travel, like whatever's on my mind, uh, I post it there. But I have a newsletter um, as well there that you can sign up for to, to see uh, what's on my mind. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I mean, and there's I've got lists and lists of stuff to ask you that I probably didn't get through. But thank you. And, and thank you for being an inspiration around creativity and, you know, putting it out there for, for us creatives. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been a fun conversation. Uh, and uh, I'll see you soon. It's one of the uh, You're the Media events. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> I shall see you on a screen very soon. Awesome. Cheers. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks to Jason for sharing his story with us, as well as stories about that $1 Super Bowl ad and the Clash's London Calling album. Both great examples of how you can be at your most creative when you have to work within boundaries. Jason said the more constraints you have when creating, the more elegant the solution. Plus, if you are plagued by imposter syndrome, don't let it hold you back. Just create something anyway. You will get better and any positive feedback will encourage you to continue. Oh, and improvise. It is proven to temporarily shut down your inner critic. Any insights for you from our conversation? I'd love to hear them. Leave me a comment. And remember, if you, like all of us, are in the persuasion business and need inspiration or tips on the art of verbal communication, then tune in to Leaning Forward with our friend Andrew Thorpe. Find Leaning Forward on your favourite podcast platform. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, then please leave a five-star review on whichever platform you're on. And if you'd like to receive information about future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak coaching, then sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at powertospeak.co.uk. Bye for now.